Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. But it's okay. It's fine. I still love you. Um, We are entering into a brand new series. um, And over the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at numbers of topics and pulling wisdom out of the book of Proverbs. And so Proverbs is a book of wisdom, um, a book of understanding. And so we're going to be pulling some things out. And so over the next few weeks, um, we're going to be dealing with several different topics. This week, we're dealing with um, humility and pride. Woo! It's going to be so fun. Um, uh, I, uh, this is the question. Is it wrong to be proud of myself? My wife and I um, have been watching like TV series where there's competitions like MasterChef or MasterChef Junior or American Ninja Warrior or whatever it is. And I've noticed in American culture in particular, um, whenever someone loses, uh, they're out of the competition, they aren't the winner, um, they almost always say something along the lines of, I am just so proud of myself. And I'm like, for losing? Like, because I'm competitive, right? Um, and, and so second place is the first loser. I don't know if you knew that. Um, but, but we have this default, like, my priority is to be proud of me. Is it wrong to be proud of yourself? We'll get into some of that here in a little bit. Uh, what does the Bible say about marriage and family? That's going to be a good time. Uh, and then, um, is it ever okay to lie? I heard some yeses over here. Anyways, um, and then we're going to get to, um, how should I respond to laziness? And first service, I was like, how should I respond to laziness? And a lady over here is like, oh, no. (laughs) I wasn't talking about you personally. Like, anyways, I know she has employees, so maybe that's it. Um, And and then, um, is it it wrong to want to be rich? That's going to be a good time. Yeah. Okay, all right, well, all right, we'll see. Um, and then, um, how can I tell if I'm greedy or generous? All right, so we're going to be digging into those. Remember, Proverbs, Proverbs is a book of wisdom, but to be really clear, it is a book of principles, not promises. Uh, there are things you will read in Proverbs that are principles that apply generally in life, but they don't always apply in the same way in every situation. So we're going to dig into some of that today. Uh, My title today is uh, The Law of Attraction. And and we're going to kick it off here with something repelling. Not like repelling, um, but repelling. Um, Like repel, shh, bugs, okay, you'll find out in a moment. Because there's something I know to be true of you, 
It's true of me. It's actually true, um, I think, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus. And I actually think it's true because it's actually something that's hardwired into the character and the nature of God. And it's actually um, revealed in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, and this is a really big deal to God, but God opposes, say opposes, that's not good. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I actually think we do the same thing. Whenever you meet someone who is overtly and clearly prideful, there is something internally that is like, Oof. and when you meet someone who is humble, there is something in us that is attracted to that. It's true when I see it in sports, um, on television, when I hear an athlete being interviewed or something, and I'm like, that person is so humble. Like, that's attractive. It pulls me towards them. Or when I hear them taking all the credit and defaming other people, I'm like, no, there's something repulsive about that. It makes me think about magnets. Anybody like to play with magnets when you were a kid? Anybody still like to play with magnets now? Um, In fact, I'm going to only play with these for a moment because if I hang on to them. I'll just play with them the entire service. But uh, maybe you've done this before. It's hard to find big magnets anymore, or at least it is for me. Um, So I stole these from my children's um, school sets. So may not pass this class because I don't know where they're going to end up after this. But when you try and put them together, right, um, and it's the same pole trying to go together, and it's like, boop, right? They just, like, and if they're big magnets, it's like, or maybe I was just a weak kid. I don't know. You're trying to push them together, and, and you're like, I got it. But as soon as you let go, it's like, pew, right? It shoots away. But they're naturally, right, attracted to the opposite side. They, I think that's what the scriptures are describing when it says God opposes. Like, even if you were on the outside attempting to draw near to God, there's actually something that repels you away from him, and it's pride. And so it's actually a really important question. How do I know what pride is? And how do I know if it's in my life? And maybe even more importantly, what is a biblical description of humility? I'm just going to set these over here so I can quit playing with them. Now, something you need to know that unlike magnets, um, when, when it comes to magnets, you could turn either one of the magnets over, right? And then they would attract to one another. But God doesn't actually deal with the issue of pride or humility. It isn't something God wrestles with. And, and the reason is this. It'll make sense as soon as you hear it. The, the reason is because when God talks about his majesty or his power or his greatness or his sovereignty or his knowledge, when God describes those things, God is not being self-aggrandizing. He's not being self-promoting. He's simply stating fact. It's just the reality. God is And so God doesn't need your approval. He's not sharing with you how great he is in hopes that you will really like him so that he feels affirmed about himself. God simply is. And so in this scenario where there is something that repels us away from God or there is something that attracts the mercy and grace of God, there's only actually one agent, one set of magnets that can flip over, and that's you and I. Because God isn't actually wrestling with those issues. God simply exists. And if you want to draw near to him, this issue of pride and humility is critical to our ability to do that. In fact, both in the Psalms and in the Proverbs, the scriptures have a lot to say about pride and humility. 
The Psalm 138, verse 6 says this, Though the Lord is great, just to be clear, he is. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. He cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Or Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction. Or Proverbs 29, 23, pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. In fact, in Proverbs 11, verse 12, it says this, pride leads to disgrace. But listen to this next part. But with humility comes wisdom. Like there's something about humility that brings wisdom into the equation, that there's a connection. Humility leads to wisdom, but pride leads to humiliation. No, I'm not. I'm talking about the idea of like, I'm so good. I'm so great. The idea of pride, pride, humility leads to wisdom, but pride leads to humiliation. And so if humility leads to wisdom, then the question is, what leads us to humility? So Psalm 111, verse 10, listen to these words. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. So without the fear of the Lord, there's some other foundation that your wisdom is built on, right? But the fear of the Lord is actually the foundation of true wisdom, like a good foundation for a house. The foundation for wisdom to be built on is actually the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1 verse 7, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. Or Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord teaches Wisdom and humility precedes honor. So the foundation, the capstone, the foundation stone of wisdom is fear of the Lord, which is an interesting phrase. It's a phrase we don't like to use much anymore because in our generation, we've really fixated on the love of the Lord. We write lots of songs about how great God thinks you are about how much he loves you, about how much he adores you. And those things are true, but actually wisdom begins the starting place of understanding God is actually in the fear of the Lord. I've been charged by a bear twice. Not the same bear. Uh, The first one that charged me is hanging on the wall at Band of Brothers. But I've been charged by a bear twice. Um, on, on the first occasion, though, it was one of those epic bear chargings. You know, bears will um, false charge sometimes. They'll bluff charge, and you can kind of hold out. In fact, the second bear that charged me did that several times. The third time, I just didn't care anymore, and I shot it. I was like, we're done with this. This game is over. Sorry if I said that out loud and you're offended. But we eat critters. Um, okay. Anyways, but the, but the first time, <laughs> that's how I get my vegetables, Okay. They ate the vegetables. I okay. Anyways, but but the first time um, I'm out hunting with some good friends, uh, we end up on a on a muskeg, um, and we're calling for moose. We thought we heard a moose responding. Turns out it was not a moose. Um, either I'm just not good at calling, or not good at calling or hearing. But it was a a sow, a grizzly bear, and and she comes to the edge of the woods, and we discover we're between her and her cubs who are coming out behind us. 
And I have never in my life, I've seen lots of animals in the woods, but I have never in my life seen an animal put on as impressive a display as she did. She stood up, she was 27 feet tall, like, ish. She was so big. I mean, she's 75 yards away on the other side of the muskeg, but she stands up at the edge of the trees. She looks at her cubs and she looks at us, and she just begins to make all kinds, I mean, deep, guttural growling, and then just starts to thrash the trees, standing on her hind legs. We're like, what? And then she looks at her cubs, and she looks at us, and she just makes a line for us. Like, it is clear. She is tearing up the tundra, coming straight at us. Now, there's three of us, um, Aaron Weiser, myself, and his brother, Jason Weiser. Um, we all had rifles with us. I had a 338. Aaron had a, um, I believe it was a 300, and uh, Jason had a pellet gun, um, <laughs> also known as a 270. Uh, anyways, and, and so, like, but I'm, you can't imagine how fast how much power. I mean, she is just coming hard. I mean, probably from Joe Simpkins back there near the back row um, to me, we, we decide as she starts coming, she's coming at us, we're going we're gonna to make a little triangle here. We're going to get as far away from her cubs, and maybe she'll just go to her cubs. Mm-mm. No, as she's coming, it's clear that she's looking at her cubs. She's like, one, two, three. And then she's looking at us, one, two, three. Hey, there's a meal for all of us here. Like, and so she's coming, and so we kind of jog a little ways away to create some distance, see if she'll veer off, because it's a nightmare to shoot a, a bear, us out with cubs, and you've got to go report the whole thing. I mean, she says, you don't want to mess with it. And so she's coming hard, and so finally we stop, we turn, we level our guns. Uh, Jason says, I'm going to fire a warning shot, and we're like, okay, go for it. But I've always heard that when a bear's charging, a warning shot doesn't do anything. So, so he fires his pellet gun, and like... She turns on a dime. I mean, probably three rows back here. You can see the dirt fly. She goes straight to her cubs, and then they run straight back across. We all, like, sit down, get new shorts out of our bags so we can change them. <laughs> like, the amount of adrenaline that rushes through your body, right, in that moment, you don't even know it till you stop. You're just like, I could sleep for a week right now. Like, but here's what I realized in, in that moment. I, I've always had a healthy respect. I've encountered a lot of animals right in, in the woods. But when you experience the raw power, like there is a healthy level of fear that is general. The same thing is true when you're on the ocean. Like I commercial fished for years. Like when, when you're out on the ocean and you're in some really nasty weather, when it's so bad that the boat traveling beside you disappears sometimes, right? And it's a saner. Like you just think to yourself, I am not in control out here. When you're mountaineering, mountain climbing, people tell you in the mountains the same thing. You better respect the mountain. The mountain can kill you like that. Those are inanimate objects. But the reality is that the fear of the Lord is actually a recognition of who you're dealing with. This is the sovereign God of all the universe who spoke the world into existence by the word of his mouth and will dissolve them in the exact same way. Don't ever forget who you're talking to and he invites you to draw near. But this issue of pride, he actually repels you. Right? Like It's actually a big deal to God. And the fear of the Lord is actually a display of true humility. In fact, to declare God's authority requires humility. 
for you and I. It's actually a declaration that when all is said and done, I'm actually not in charge. I actually didn't pull myself up by my own bootstraps. That there are factors at play that I actually have no control over. There were in the past, there are in the present, and there will be in the future as well. That declaring God's authority requires humility, but it invites God's wisdom into my life and his grace on my life. It's also really difficult to admit especially in a place like Alaska. Uh, like, I, I tell young pastors um, all the time, if, if you need your ego scratched, if you need to be around people who are just impressed with you, do not pastor in Alaska. In particular, in small-town Alaska, where people actually survived in a visqueen shelter through the winter as they homesteaded their property, and you show up and you preach a Sunday on sermon, uh, Sunday on sermon, or you're listexic, you preach a sermon on Sunday... <laughs> And they're like, that was cute. I built three boats this week. Did you do anything else? Right? I mean, like, they're just not easily impressed. It's actually one of the things I love about Alaska. But the reality is that it's difficult to admit that I'm dependent. Because we live in a culture that promotes independence. I don't need anyone I've established myself. I have all the resources I need. I built my own bunker because I'm a prepper and I'm ready now, right? Like whatever comes, I can sustain myself. And yet humility is actually a declaration that I am not independent. Not only do I need God, but I need you. I need people in my life who will be truth tellers in my life that I'm not independent. I'm actually in need of assistance. Israel is about to come into the promised land. In fact, an entire generation has died in the wilderness because they weren't ready to come into the promised land the first time. And I can only imagine by this point, God is about to pour out his blessing on the nation of Israel. They're going to experience all the benefits and the fruits of the land that he has promised to them. They're going to cross the river. They're going to enter into it. But he's going to give them a really stern warning before they do. And here's the reason. He intends to bless their socks off. I have no idea what that means. But bless their socks off is what he's going to do. He's going to pour out his blessing on them, and they're going to experience the fruit of the goodness of God, which God seems to think is a really dangerous thing for them. So here's what it says, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7, is where we're going to start. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with salmon that are abundant and 70-inch moose everywhere, springs that gush out in the valleys and the hills. Verse 10, and when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you, for that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I am giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold and Bitcoin have multiplied, that would be a miracle, along with everything else, be careful in that moment. Do not become proud at that time and forget 
the Lord your God, who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. Sounds like Oklahoma. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. You know why he did this? He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. One of the greatest threats to true humility is material prosperity. Now, I often hear people who don't have material prosperity, and they're really excited about this part. <laughs> but, but one of the greatest threats to true humility is material prosperity, because with security often comes the illusion of self-sufficiency. And, and don't get me wrong, you, you need to hear this. It is not wrong to be materially Prosperous. In fact, many of the um, uh, principles in Proverbs and other places declare that prosperity can come with the blessing of the Lord, with humility. In fact, Proverbs 22 verse 4 says this, True humility and the fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. It's a principle because sometimes true humility and the fear of the Lord leads you to be executed depending on where you're living in the world. It's a principle, not a promise, but the reality is it is not inherently wrong to experience the blessing of the Lord, but you must also recognize there is a built-in risk that comes with it. And the risk is this. I made right decisions. I praise the Lord every Sunday. I gave a tenth of my tithe, and that is why I experience all of these blessings. That actually is still taking credit for what, because someone else could have done the exact same thing and had totally different results, depending on what the Lord was doing in that moment, at that time and season. Now, it's interesting to me in Proverbs 22, verse 4, that it says, true humility. Because if there's a true humility, then there's also a false humility. You've probably seen it before. I mean, none of us have ever done it before. There's a true humility. There's also a false humility. And it begs the question for me, what is humility? Now, the hubris of humility or the pride of humility. Here's a definition I want to give you from Webster's Dictionary. Um, hubris is um, excessive pride or self-confidence. Is it wrong to be confident? No, but excessive pride that leads to self-confidence is hubris. Humility, and I don't like this definition to be honest, humility is a modest estimate of one's own worth, a low view of one's own importance. Because you run into a problem when you ask the question, what are you worth? John 3.16 would be a classic example, although there are dozens and dozens of others in the scriptures. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It's not talking about the dirt 
And it certainly isn't talking about cats. Like it's, t- <laughs> it's talking about you, right? For God so loved you that he gave, if you're talking about value, right? If you're talking about worth, God so loved you that he gave his only son so that you could experience life with God forever. If you want to talk about value, that's a high, high price that God's willing to pay so that you could enjoy relationship with him. You are valuable to God. But often there's this humility that um, I would describe it as self-deprecating humility, I'm just not, no, I'm no good. No, I'm not, I'm not that smart. No, I'm, I'm worthless, right? I'm a worm. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. All of that sort of language. I'm useless. I'm a hopeless case. But actually, is it humble to say those things about yourself if God doesn't say those things about you? Or actually, by definition, would it be arrogant to tell God that he's wrong in his estimation of your value. It would have an air of humility when you said it, but in reality, it would be disagreeing with God, which is also pride, cloaked in humility. For years, I heard a teaching. It was just called learning to deflect praise. Yeah, like um, someone would come to you and they would say, man, you did such a good job today. Typically, it's only my mom, but like, it's not true. She's just like, that verse is not used that way. Uh, no, I'm just, uh, somebody would just come and praise you for something, right? And, and what you were supposed to do in that moment, because it would be prideful to receive that praise or that gratitude or that acknowledgement. So what you were supposed to do in that moment is learn the art of deflecting it. Now, obviously, um, you would want to deflect it to God ultimately. Well, I'd be nothing without the Lord. Well, it isn't really me. I mean, yes, I was reading this week and studying this week and putting thoughts together this week, but the truth is that, you know, I was homeschooled and I might not be able to read, right? God gave me the gift of reading. That's um, like you, you had to deflect all of the praise that came your way. And so it was really hard. Anybody else struggle to receive a compliment? Really, I'm the only one? Like someone would come to you and they'd say, man, I love what you did there. You did such a great job. You just did such a great job leading worship today or whatever it is. And you were supposed to deflect that because it was prideful to receive it. And what I discovered over the years is that actually what I'm doing in that moment is I'm actually sort of shaming the other person. They're coming to me and they're saying, thank you. And instead of just saying, you're welcome, uh, that was for free. Uh, uh, instead of saying, you're welcome, I actually headed down this path of, oh, you shouldn't be thanking me. Don't you know that God gets all the glory? And so in order to appear humble myself, I actually made them feel like an idiot for simply saying thank you, right? For simply acknowledging something. And then I came across Proverb. 27, verse 2. In fact, this is one of the verses that I've heard used for this whole idea over the years. It says, um, let someone else's mouth praise you and not your own. A stranger and not your own lips. Like, you should not go around promoting yourself. And so when someone comes to you and says, I so appreciate what you did, you better deflect that praise. And it dawned on me at some point that the, it actually begins with this word, let. Not don't let 
someone else praise you. It's fine. It isn't actually pride to just receive a compliment. Pride is something very different than that. Pride is actually when you begin to internalize it as though you were the one who originated good stuff in your life. It actually isn't the words that I use, but we believe if we say the right words, we will at least appear humble, which is actually prideful. I want you to think that I'm more humble than I actually am. Ooh, that'll preach all day, I know. Let's just move on, though, because it's hard. Um, humility is not the act of devaluing yourself or denouncing all of your desires. It's actually one of the things I completely disagree with in the ideas presented in Buddhism, that the root of all evil in the world, right, the root of all conflict in the world is desire, and the goal is to do away with all desire. That is not a biblical idea. In fact, doing away with evil desires, sure, but promoting and pursuing righteous desires, 100%. Desire isn't the problem. Pride is the problem. Humility is not the act of devaluing yourself or denouncing all desires. It is the process of prioritizing God's desires and promoting his value for others. It's the process of looking out beyond yourself. I would actually redefine humility and hubris in this way. Humility is a grand view of God's power and might and a high value for others. Not a low value for yourself, but a high value for the power and majesty and might of God and a high value for the worth and value of others. And hubris is the belief that I know better than God. In fact, in case you're wondering, it's what got us into the whole mess we're in right now anyway. Hubris is the belief that I know better than God. And although pride and humility weren't struggles and aren't struggles for God, they certainly were for Jesus in his humanity. In fact, one of the most clear passages is found in Philippians 2, and it brings me to humble pie. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8, listen to how this describes this issue. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Just, just so you know, trying to impress others is actually an identity issue. I wrestle with it every single Sunday. In fact, and this is the truth, most Sundays... When I'm all done with all three services, I leave this building, I get in my car, and I feel like, I don't think I communicated anything I was trying to communicate. Like, all, all I remember are all the mistakes or what I didn't feel was clear, right? And, and so I, I'm sort of like getting down on myself. And every now and then, I'm like, nailed it. And a few years back, the Lord was like, uh, wait, 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 wait. What was the difference between this service and that service? Well, the difference was that I had, you know, Heather over here shouting amen the whole time in that service, but I preached the exact same sermon in the other service, and Steve didn't say a word to me afterwards, and so I think I did a terrible job in that service. And so a few years back, I started putting into practice a habit. When I'm done on a Sunday, I go and I get in my car, and it's actually irrelevant how I felt like things went in this room. I just get in my car, and I say, Lord, I have no idea what happened today. You do. In fact, what I know after this many years in pastoral ministry is that when people come up and say, 
Man, that changed my life forever. They may mean for five minutes till they get in the car with their spouse and, and they're yelling at each other. Right? I have no idea if transformation happened. I also don't know if it happened when nobody said anything. All I know is I think I was faithful. I can always do better, but I just get in my car and I say, Lord, I don't know what that was. I don't know what happened in there today. You do, and it's your business. Let's go home. Every, it's the only way that I can keep that in check in my own heart and life. Do, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. You know what it doesn't say? Thinking of yourself as less than. Thinking of yourself as unworthy. Think of, it actually says you should probably have a pretty high view of yourself. God does have a high value for you. But you're actually called to think of others first. Right? It doesn't say be self-deprecating. It actually says elevate the value of those around you. And then it goes on to describe how this happens. Um, don't look out only for your own interest. It doesn't say look out. don't look out for your interest. It says don't look out only for your own interest. But take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. It's going to be hard anytime you read those words. <laughs> Same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. These are my rights. I deserve. I should have. I have the right to. You think about how much we use that language in our world today, and yet Jesus had the right to be identified as the sovereign God of all the universe, and yet he chooses to set that Aside. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, listen to how he humbled himself. He humbled himself in obedience. You know what? You're right, God, and I'm not. I can trust you, God. You're sovereign, God. You know everything, God. I'm in need of your direction, God. I need your wisdom, God, right? In obedience, he humbles himself and died a criminal's death on a cross. There is a massive difference, and I want you to hear this, between humility and passivity. Passivity does not equal humility. Jesus was not passive in his relationships or in his ministry. He spoke with authority. He spoke with confidence. And it was not arrogance. It's really important to understand that. Because when someone is assertive, it does not mean by default they are arrogant. And we often equate passivity or what we would call meekness. It isn't a biblical definition of it but passivity with humility. And those are not the same thing. Jesus was not passive in his ministry or in his relationships. Now I want to end with two stories, um, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament, because that's what every good preacher does. The first one is a story of the children of Israel exiting the slavery in Egypt. They've been led through the waters God has miraculously shown up and shown off. They could not deliver themselves. God has delivered them, and they are so grateful for it. In fact, they have a celebration. And Moses and Aaron and Miriam, these siblings, are all part of the leadership team that brings Israel out of Egypt and headed towards the Promised Land. 
In fact, as soon as they get across the sea and the, it's been parted, God did a miracle. And Miriam, man, Miriam leads like a worship service like you have never been in in your whole life. They could feel the ground shaking from miles away as she led the women in worship. I mean, I can guarantee you afterwards, they were like, I've never heard anybody do that song like you did that song, Miriam. Like, that was so good. You played that tambourine like a skillful artist, right? They have to, and then they move, and Aaron, Aaron has been with Moses on this whole journey. In fact, Moses is like, I, I'm just not great with words and stuff. Aaron, could you, could Aaron come with me? And Aaron's with Moses in the whole thing. Now, they're on the other side, and God is meeting with Moses, like all the time. Hey, Moses, let's have a chat. Come on over here. In fact, we're told in the text that God doesn't talk with um, Moses like he typically uh, talks or speaks to people like we would think. He speaks to him face to face. And something begins to happen in the heart of Aaron and Miriam. Numbers 12, verses 1 through 4. While they were at Hazareth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite Woman, How many of you know that isn't actually the issue going on here? They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? What they've been looking for is a perceived weakness in Moses, something Moses would have done wrong, so that now they could begin to promote themselves. Has the Lord only spoken through Moses? You remember that worship service I led that one time? I'm telling you, the anointing was on me too. See what's happening, right? They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Which is rarely a good statement. Now, now we believe, right, that Moses wrote this. I'm hoping someone else interjected this next piece. But here it is. Now, Moses was very humble and more humble than any other person on the earth. If I ever write my own biography, I'm just going to be like, and Jonathan was a handsome person, the most handsome person, right? Anyways, here's what we know, though. It's true of Moses, right? God's identifying something. in. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, meet me at the shed. I mean, the tabernacle. Like, And God is going to address this issue. But I want to highlight, I want to make an observation about what I believe is happening in this passage. Because I actually believe that pride is a root of entitlement. And entitlement says this, because you have it, I deserve it also. Opportunity, authority, resources, whatever it is, when you begin to look out there and you say, hey, why do they get that and I don't get that? Why do they deserve that and I don't deserve that? Why do they have that platform and I don't have that platform? It's actually pride. Pride is the root of entitlement. I deserve it too because you have. And it's the argument that Aaron and Miriam are making. Doesn't God speak through us also? So why don't we get to do what Moses gets to do? It's actually revealing itself as pride. But we would probably identify it as envy or entitlement. The second story is actually found in Luke. It's a story that Jesus tells. It's probably an observation that Jesus has made, but he tells it in the form of an allegory or story. And then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness. I don't know if you know this, but the amount of work that I put in, and I paid my tithes, and I showed up every Sunday. I only missed one in the year, and that was because I was out at the soup kitchen. Like, confidence 
in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. That's the real issue. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a megachurch pastor. I don't know, it's a Pharisee. <laughs> a theologian. There we go. Uh, and the other was an IRS agent. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I am so grateful to you, Lord. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. Man, every Sunday I get up here, I'm like, God, thank you. I'm not like a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I don't smoke, don't chew. I don't even go with girls that do. I'm certainly not like that IRS agent over there. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. But he's really saying, God, you owe me something. It's self-righteousness. That because I've done these things, I should have an expectation of you, God. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven and he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner and not the Pharisee returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, listen to this, will be exalted. Like, I've never thought of me as being exalted in any way, shape, or form. Like, we exalt God. Like, I exalt thee. Like, we have a whole song. It's, a, it's only those words, but it's like a long song. And, and, but the reality is, and this is what he's declaring. Listen, the sinner understands something fundamental. It isn't a one-time occurrence. It's actually a posture of the heart. In fact, I had a conversation with somebody just last week, and they began to describe to me their encounter with Jesus. They're a brand new believer, just a span of a few months now. As they began to describe to me with tears in their eyes, like this moment when they met Jesus, I was like, you had the same encounter I had. And that same encounter all the way to this day, when I come before the Lord, I'm not entitled to anything. I'm just so grateful. He is so kind to me, like, like the opportunities he gives me. And I, I just can't, I'm blown away by it. I am enamored with his goodness and grace and entitled to nothing. That's where we're called to live. It's not easy to live there for any of us. That's why the scriptures deal with this topic so much. Here's the observation. Self-promotion actually invites humiliation. God's intention would be to draw you to himself, but self-promotion actually invites humiliation. Because if I'm promoting myself about how successful I am or how good I am or how righteous I am, well, the day will come when I'm not that thing anymore. And if that's been my identity rather than my identity is Jesus and his goodness and his grace, the moment I lose that status, I am humiliated. But if I've always been dependent, I will always be dependent on him. Self-promotion invites humiliation, and humility invites from God exaltation. Lift it up. It's pointing and he's cheering for who you are, for what he's created you to be. I'm going to invite you to stand. So here's the question. How do I know 
if I'm experiencing the opposition of God in my life. Right, because it's real easy to start to think like, man, things are really hard right now. I've got a disease. I had a flat tire on the way to work. I mean, all the first world problems that we deal with too. I, often I'll walk out of my house on any given day and my backpack will get hung on the doorknob and I'm like, God, why are you so against me? <laughs> Am I the only one? Is, are, nobody else in here is as petty? Like, like the reality is that I can begin to believe that God is opposing me. So how do I know if I'm actually in a position where I am displaying prideful characteristics? I'm just give you a few things real quick here because the scriptures actually speak to these. Is there unforgiveness in my life? You realize that's rooted in pride because you've been forgiven. In fact, Jesus couldn't be more clear about this numerous times in the scriptures that when unforgiveness is present, pride is present in our lives. Self-sufficiency, I don't need anyone else. I don't need God. Envy, entitlement, self Righteousness, God loves me because I, or even self-hatred, God is wrong in his assessment of my value. When I begin to identify those things in my life, I recognize there is something that needs to be uprooted because I want to be drawn to him. I want to be magnetized to him, and he can't help but pour his grace out on humility our lives. And so Jesus, our prayer is that we would be reminded that we would discover that the place where wisdom begins is in a place of awe at your majesty, at your power, at your might and your glory and your goodness and your grace. May we never forget who you are and may that be the foundation in our lives for humility to thrive, for wisdom to grow. We just acknowledge that we're in need of you to reveal it to us. So Jesus, we just invite you to do the work that only you can do. You're the surgeon. You're the one who can pull all the stuff apart, all the excuses apart, and you can actually show us what's there. And I ask in this week that you would continue to be faithful to do that in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.